Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Field, that one's called to the right. Hunter on the move. Racing back. It's over his head. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. This is Red Sox Beat on CLNS Radio. I think it would be a big statement if John Farrell started Travis Shaw on opening day, and I'd be totally cool with it. Because I think it would, it, it, if that doesn't give Sandoval motivation to, to play better defense and play better, period, nothing will. I think they're going to make Jeter that first unanimous vote, and I hate that about baseball writers. If you belong in the Hall of Fame, you get voted in the Hall of Fame. Achievements are a new milestone. So don't just be like, hey, we, we signed this player, so we're going to have a ceremony. Like, no, no. Like. Now, to your hosts. All right, Red Sox beat here, Red Sox fans, on CLNS Media. CLNS Media, the leading online provider of New England sports coverage, of course, on Twitter at CLNS Media. Facebook, same exact thing. Don't forget our free mobile podcast app on iOS and Android as well. Just search CLNS and you'll find it. We're listening to all these shows across the CLNS family, especially ours. Uh, Jess Thomas, Lauren Campbell aside me tonight, uh, as well as Brian McPherson of the Providence Journal. Be joined by us in just two seconds. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. At Red Sox underscore beat. Facebook is Red Sox beat podcast. If you can, please, please, please. Uh, Brian, as you listen to me as well, rate, review, and subscribe the crap out of this on iTunes. Uh, listen to us on Stitcher. Get the word out. Red Sox are in full swing. And none other than Brian McPherson, Providence Journal, joining us this week on the show, driving back from a rainy, rainy McCoy Stadium on the uh, Big League Club's night off. How are you, Brian? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Um, a lot going on with the Red Sox. Um, you're making the venture back from McCoy Stadium, so let's talk a little big league baseball for you. Um, just want to get your feelings because we haven't talked to you this season. Um, overall, Red Sox so far disappointing, um, living up to where you thought they might be. Overall, just general kind of feelings of the Red Sox so far. Yeah, I think they're kind of where you thought they would be. Maybe a little bit disappointing, but you know, you chalk that disappointment up to missing David Price for two months. I think you're bit there, basically where you would have expected. I don't think you'd expect them to run away with anything without David Price. I think it's reasonable to think they would be better with David Price. And you know, they've had some injuries and they've had some trouble filling some holes. And you know, they kind of took a gamble on Pablo Sandoval at third base, and both for, for performance and injury reasons, that hasn't worked out great. Um, so that's a hole that's kind of been exposed. So that's been a problem. But we knew that. We knew it was a, it was a star-studded but thin kind of roster, a Dave Dombrowski classic roster. And you know, so far so good. They're certainly in position to contend. They're in position to, to make a run in a in an American League East that doesn't have a powerhouse team in it. And you know, it's hard to be too disappointed given the circumstances. It's hard to be too disappointed with where they are so far. 
So, Brian, in terms of major concerns, I was wondering if you had any, because obviously with the, the starting's been pretty good, but they've had some injuries. The offense has been kind of hot and cold, and the bullpen's also kind of been hot and cold. So at this point, two months in, are there any, are there any aspects of the team that you're like majorly concerned about? I mean, the starting pitching depth has been a concern from the beginning, and it, it continues to be. You know, when as soon as David Price went down, it, it all of a sudden looked very thin, and now they're down Stephen Wright for the year. And the fact that Eduardo Rodriguez got hurt within a week after David Price came back, you know, just sort of a reminder of how thin it is. Brian Johnson, you know, presumably will join the rotation um, this weekend. He'll be the fifth starter. And, you know, beyond him, there's not very much. So if, if something were to happen to him, you know, it was a little scary when he took a tumble on the mound with the Paw Sox last weekend, you know, before he was supposed to make a big league start. Seems like he's okay. Seems like they dodged a bullet there. But, you know, it's never good when you're really, really concerned about a potential injury to Brian Johnson. You know, he should be that. He should be the guy who comes up when there's injuries. You know, not the guy that you're absolutely depending on. But if something were to happen to Johnson, if something were to happen to Drew Pomerantz, who it feels like is kind of walking a fine line with this forearm tightness he keeps dealing with, you know, there's not a lot. You're going back to Hector Velasquez, who got knocked around. You're going back to Kyle Kendrick, who got knocked around. You know, it's Henry Owens has basically become a non-factor because he's not able to throw consistent strikes even in AAA. So it's they're in you know the front of the rotation at this point looks really good with Chris Sale and Rick Porcello and David Price is back and if they get Eduardo Rodriguez, you know that foursome for example is a really really good playoff rotation should you get there. But there's also scenarios because they're pitchers, you know, because David Price is still I you know I can't I don't think you can say David Price is out of the woods yet. You know, there's there's scenarios in which this starting rotation gets very thin very quickly and ends up completely undermining, you know, what otherwise is a really good team. Yeah, and I know you mentioned Brian about taking a gamble on third base um, earlier. So I kind of want your thoughts on Pablo Sandoval since returning from the DL. Are, are you impressed? Are you not impressed? Um, is there obviously there's always always room for improvement, but just kind of your general thoughts on him. Are we being too hard on him? kind of coming off the DL right now? Well, I wouldn't rush to judgment yet, and I'll be honest, I haven't seen that much of him because I haven't been with the team um, since he came off the DL. But, so I certain, I mean, even if I had seen him, you're not going to rush to judgment right away. But these are big, this is a big month, two months for him. I mean, I, I really do think that he's kind of got these two months. You know, in theory, he's going to get a lot of playing time. He may not play against some lefties. But he's got some, he's got probably two months to show that, He's worth playing, and if if he's still not getting the job done, if he's you know if he gets hurt again, that's not good. And if he underperforms again, at this point, he'd be two and a half years into his contract, and the Red Sox wouldn't have much. And this is a team that's built to win now. They trade a lot of people away to try and win now, and you wonder if Dave Dombrowski would throw in the towel on him by July. Like you're not going to do it now, but it seemed like this was a big make or break season for him. And you know if, if they're not getting anything from him by July that seems like a fair time to say, okay, this isn't working. We've got to try something else. And that's why I wouldn't, so I wouldn't rush to judgment right now, but this is a really important time. And I think, you know, in a month is a fair time to start thinking about judging Pablo Sandoval. And certainly in two months, as the trade deadline gets closer, that's when you're going to, when Dave Dombrowski, I'm sure, and the Red Sox and everybody else too, we can all have that same, you know, thought process is to kind of look at it and say, is this the best thing for the Red Sox going forward? Or is it time for them to cut bait and decide that this just didn't work? So, I mean, yeah, Pablo Sandoval obviously is a big concern. Um, for me, 
I think the biggest thing, Brian, and I've talked about this on this show week after week, is the bullpen for me is still the biggest place where there's issues. You know, rotations coming back in the swing with David Price, things like that. But the bullpen still has holes. Um, Thornburg is scheduled to throw 90, uh, 90-foot long toss with Smith throwing um, some simulated games as well on the schedule for tomorrow, I believe. So my question to you, Brian, is one, how much will both of these guys help the bullpen? And two, do you actually think Thornburg will pitch this year? I, the second one, yeah, is the critical one. I don't know. I mean, that feels <laughs> like it's still a 50-50 kind of coin flip thing. I mean, it, not being a doctor, and, you know, you always take these things with grains of salt that, you know, he's, he's making progress, but it's taken so much longer than anyone thought. Like, nobody ever could have thought out of spring training that Thornburg, it would be June, and Thornburg wouldn't have pitched yet. And then, like, wouldn't be close to pitching. It's not even like a Carson Smith thing where you can start to see the finish line. Like, I mean, I don't see – it's hard to imagine a scenario at this point where Thornburg pitches the first half, certainly. And, you know, I don't know if he pitches this year. Yeah, they certainly could use him. They could use Carson Smith. And the bullpen has been up and down. I guess I worry about that a little less just because you can find relief pitching, and these guys have shown an ability to do it. I mean, Robbie Scott <laughs> – sort of came out of nowhere and it's been really really good and i'm i personally am pretty intrigued by some of the arms they have at Pawtucket too if they need to go there i mean you don't want these guys being your eighth inning guy and that's kind of what they're missing that's what you hope carson smith can be because matt barnes isn't really an eighth inning guy joe kelly seems like he's too inconsistent to be an eighth inning guy though the you know the stuff is certainly there but some of these arms you know guys like jamie callahan and ty butchery um shepherd at Pawtucket, like these are the guys that are interesting enough that you wonder if if there's if there's an opening, just like Ben Taylor earlier, you know, I, I was intrigued by Ben too, a guy with swinging this fastball. You know, you wonder if somebody like that can kind of seize a role and help him in the second half too. Brian, moving over to, uh, I mean, obviously there's a lot of a lot of all star talk now, and and the the ballots come out so early, and everyone talks about it for a while. Uh, so I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on who do you think at this point uh, could make the all star team for the Sox. Obviously, you think. Craig Kimbrell and Chris Sale are probably locks, but then on offense, is Betts going to make it? Bogart, somebody else? What do you think about the All-Star game? Yeah, you're right. Sale and Kimbrell are locks. Betts seems like a pretty good bet. I mean, at this point, he's a name brand, so I would be surprised if he wasn't voted in. Like, he's at the point where he's an established star. Bogart is an interesting one because shortstop is so loaded. He probably gets in because it seems like, especially, I think Segura just won on the DL, Gene uh, Segura with Seattle. He was challenging. I mean, Correa and Lindor are probably both ahead of Bogarts in terms of you know sheer quality of shortstop play. Like if you were having an MVP ballot right now, probably Lindor and Correa both are ahead of Bogarts on that. But you know, I could certainly see Bogarts getting on there as well. You know, in terms of other guys, Eduardo Rodriguez had been pitching himself into that sort of neighborhood, but now that's clearly not going to happen. And off the top of my head. That's probably it, but yeah, that would be that would be a strong contingent for the Red Sox. Certainly, if they could get those four guys there, yeah, Betts and Bogarts, especially for those guys to keep going back to the All Star game to kind of to establish that they are you know two really bright young stars in this game, and you know you remember they're just twenty four years old. It's you know it's a, it's a great place for the Red Sox to be to have those guys you know to, to feel like those guys are perennial All Stars. Yeah, and somebody who, who once was an All-Star, probably not making the All-Star game this year, is Hanley Ramirez. I kind of just wanted your thoughts on him and, you know, how he's doing at DH, the whole him not really playing first base this season, and just kind of like general thoughts on his season that he's having so far. Yeah, it's, it's underwhelming, certainly. And, you know, 
you don't really know why that is. You wonder if there's shoulder issues, like, you know, if the shoulder's keeping him from playing first base, it would follow that it should be affecting his swing in some way. Like, it wouldn't make sense for those to be totally disconnected, and the only way they would be is if the shoulder thing at first base is kind of a cover for the fact that he basically just refuses to play first base, which is a distinct possibility. I don't think we know for sure that's the case, but it certainly seems like he doesn't really want to play first base, which is you know, definitely caused some problems that they didn't build this roster with the thought that Ramirez would be the full-time DH. Like, you know, they signed Mitch Moreland to be a, a you know, a lot of the time first baseman, but not a full-time first baseman. If they wanted a full-time first baseman, they might have gone and gotten somebody else who was, you know, is a guy who has come to the plate 650 times before, who's a guy who you want hitting if lefties and righties, who's, you know, who's a better hitter. Like, it seemed like they were going to strategically use Mitch Moreland not that they were going to have him play every single day, and that's the way it's been because Ramirez has played first base. And you know, we don't really know why that is. We don't know if there was a miscommunication, if Henry Ramirez changed his mind, if there's how much the health is an issue, the shoulder. You know, we'll, I don't know. Maybe that'll come out more. Maybe it won't. But at this point, it's causing them some problems. And you know, the fact that Ramirez is not you know, crushing the ball, he certainly has moments here and there. When he gets a mistake, you know, he can still hit it a mile. But... You know, the fact that he's not putting up, you know, you wouldn't expect David Ortiz of last year type numbers because that was phenomenal. But anything, you know, approximating that would have been fine for a full-time DH and Henry Ramirez is that. So he puts them in a tough tough spot that to to not be getting that much production and also to not be having, not have him play a defensive position. It, it does sort of make the roster a little more difficult for John Farrell to maneuver. Brian, follow up on that because I'm curious now, and I, I think there's a correlation, but you know, with Hanley not willing to play first base, and that was their plan all along, how much did this play in their early kind of promotion of um, Sam Travis? It, it did a little bit, yeah, because you can't have Mitch Moreland playing, uh, playing first base every day. Like that was, That's why they promoted Sam Travis. They wanted, you know, not a platoon partner per se. I mean, they're going to use... They're using Travis in a platoon-ish way, and that he's mostly going to play against lefties. That's just that's more to to use him in the best way possible. The goal, though, was to to get Moreland some days off his feet because it was obvious by early May that Moreland was wearing down. Like you remember, in April he hit a double every single day, and it wasn't like you expected that to continue. But the the depth of his drop off made it pretty clear that he was getting tired already. That he wasn't used to playing every single day. So yeah, they brought up Sam Travis, but now. Now that's the problem. They've got three guys. I mean, so you have 12 or 13 position players usually. John Farrell likes to carry an extra pitcher when he can. You know, and if you have some versatility defensively, you can do that. But let's say they have 13 position players. Three of them either don't play a position or only play first base. And that's a lot of loss of flexibility. The fact that Moreland, Ramirez, and Travis are all first base only players, you compare that you know, to when they've had a bench of guys like Brock Holt and Josh Rutledge has been an extra guy on the bench, and they had Selsky who could play the outfield and first base. Like That's defensive versatility that gives a manager some options that gives you ways to get guys' days off in kind of creative fashion, and that's not the case anymore. Like John Farrell had hoped that he could give Andrew Bogart the periodic day at DH just to you know get him, get him off his feet so that he wouldn't wear down. Like that, Farrell talked a lot about that, to have some of these guys that he couldn't do that with David Ortiz, but he could do that now. Some of these guys that wore down to be able to DH them periodically to keep their bats in the lineup, but to just lessen the workload that little bit. Now we can't do that without sitting Hanley Ramirez. So that's, that's the problem he's that that's created now. And 
you know, it's, I don't know that it's resolvable. I mean, maybe, I mean, certainly they can regroup after this season, but at this point, you know, I don't, I don't know what they can do with Hamlin Ramirez other than keep running him out there at DH because they need him to hit and he's a, you know, he's a proven hitter and he should be a good hitter, but you know, that it does put them in an awfully difficult position. So, well, of course, talking to uh, Brian McPherson here of the Providence Journal, um, slide over one spot in the infield. Dustin Pedroia has been out, is, is destined to be back here. So once Pedroia is back here, Brian, um, what's your concern with his health? Is, is it been more of a precaution keeping him out? Um, should they keep him out longer? Like, what is your concern with Pedroia moving forward health-wise? Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't know in terms of how long they should keep him out and how precautionary. I mean, that's, that's the sort of thing that just the team doctors are going to know. <laughs> You know, it's you know, it's but it's his health is a concern. And you look at the history of second baseman. It's really interesting when you I did this deep dive. I remember right around when they signed him for his to his contract extension. And the funny thing about second baseman is that the aging curve doesn't show up in performance as much as it does in durability. And that's the sort of position where you're moving on every play. Um, you know, you're either covering second or you're moving towards first or you're, you're just, you're all over the place. You're cutting off at the ball to the outfield. You're the cutoff man. Like something's happening for you on every play. So you're always running. And of course, the droid dives everywhere. And then you add to that, the getting up into these double plays or the slide, you know, like the Manny Machado slide. Um, you know, that's, you know, whatever you want to say about the slide, it, you know, seemed like reckless, but unintentional, but what it did was get the hurt. And he had already had surgery on that knee. And, you know, that's the sort of risk you take as a second baseman. And that's part of the problem. So you see that a lot of these really good second basemen, you know, even some of the Hall of Fame second basemen, like a Ryan Sandberg, really didn't play much and wasn't as good, but mostly didn't play much beyond age 34. And a lot of these second basemen moved to other positions. You saw Chase Utley's career kind of tail off as he got into his mid-30s. Like, that's the concern is that Pedroia is going to keep getting bumped around. And certainly his style is of a guy who gets knocked around. You know, he's had plenty of years where he's gotten hurt, you know, diving into first base. And, you know, now this collision with Jose Abreu, it's problematic. But I think all they can do is, you know, get him healthy again and they're running back out there because he's their, he's their heart and soul. He's their lead. He's still been really good this year, especially at the plate. He's been good defensively as well. Like when he's on the field, he's good. And that's the case for a lot of these second basemen in their mid thirties. When they're on their field, they're, when they're on the field, they're good. It's just keeping them on the field that that tends to be the problem. So they just kind of have to build that into their projection. You know, I don't think you can ever expect Pedroia to play 150 games again. If he does, great. But you know, that's it's not likely to happen. Brian, he's, speaking of keeping guys in the field, uh, obviously this has been a problem for Eduardo Rodriguez for quite a while now, and it seems to continue to be the same injury over and over and over, which is his knee. Uh, now he obviously has the knee problem again. You mentioned it a little bit earlier. But are you concerned about his health in general, his knee? Is his knee ever going to get better? Or is this going to keep being a problem every single year? I know you're not a doctor, but like this, we've had plenty of examples here that he just cannot seem to keep his knee healthy no matter what he does. Well, it seems like there may have to be a surgery. It seems like this is sort of like Marco Hernandez. This is more little known, but Marco Hernandez kept having his shoulder pop out of its socket. Um, and it's just it was sort of a structural problem, a structural weakness in the shoulder. Um, so he's having that sur- he had that surgically corrected you know, rather than kind of deal with it over and over again. And I think the question for Eduardo Rodriguez will become, does he have that surgery? You know, at this point, probably he's going to try rest and rehab. That's what it sounds like, though. I think we'll get more official words from John Farrell tomorrow. Um, it seems like he's going to try and rest and, and rehabilitate it for now, but it may be the case that at some point, 
um, if this keeps happening, if it happens one more time, or even if it doesn't, it may be an off-season sort of thing where after the season he goes ahead and gets the surgery. I don't know what the recovery time would be, but even if it's six months, then you have it in October or November and you miss the first month of next season, but at least it's it's done and it's fixed and it's over. So it seems like the sort of thing that is, it's definitely chronic at this point, but it does seem fixable. It just may be that surgery is the only way to fix it. And that involves missing a chunk of time. And if you know, maybe this is when it's going to have to be, just like Stephen Wright had his knee injury and it could only be fixed by surgery. And that was that. And that would be a big blow for all the reasons we talked about earlier. But, you know, that that may be what it comes to for him at some point. Staying with the uh, starting pitching theme we have going on right now, I know David Price has only made two starts since returning from his elbow injury. But do you think, judging from these two starts, that he's back to himself? Or do we still need to, you know, kind of be cautious with him in his next few starts to really see what we're going to get from him this season? I mean, I don't know. The nice thing about David Price in some ways is that it's not like there's a decision to be made with him. Like, you know, he's being paid a lot of money, though that's sort of incidental. You know, he's he's David Price. He's going to be in the rotation. Like, unless he's terrible, 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 in which case you start looking for medical reasons, then they're just going to roll with him. And it was just like last year that he wasn't that great through mid-May. You know, his first six, seven, eight starts with the Red Sox weren't that great. And then the rest of the way, he was pretty good. Like, he had a 20-22 start stretch where he was really good last year. He was basically David Price. And then the final ERA was higher because he had started out kind of slow, but he's David Price. And if he's healthy, he should be David Price. And even if he's, you know, the elbow is not quite 100%, so he's only 90% of David Price, that's still really good. And that's why they brought him back when they did. There was no point in wasting bullets in AAA. And, you know, we saw that first start in Chicago. He wasn't vintage David Price, but he was still effective. Um, he didn't get knocked around. He was effective. And then that second start against Baltimore, he was really good. So, you know, yeah, you expect more like that second start than the first start, which seemed like a matter of kind of shaking off rust. But at this point, in terms of, you know, honestly, I guess I don't know that it matters what we expect or what, what he does. Like, the Red Sox need David Price to be good, and, you know, that's just like anybody else. If he can be really good, that takes them a long way towards winning the division. If he's not quite so good, you know, same as Rick Porcello, same as Chris Sale, who struggled lately, like, you know, then they may not quite beat out the Yankees or the Orioles or whoever they're competing with in the East. So, you know, Price is going to make his starts. I think the only concern is if he gets hurt again. But I don't think they can worry about that. I think they just have to run him out there. And, you know, if the elbow goes, the elbow goes. There's no way to predict that or, or do something to prevent that, you know, because nobody has figured out elbow health yet. I think they just run him out there and, you know, see what they can get from him this year. All right, Brian. So Red Sox are coming off the split with the Orioles start on Tuesday with the three-game set with the Yankees in New York. Um, Currently two back of the Yankees for first. Kind of a two-parter, but really just one. How do you think they're going to do against the Yankees? And two, is it important for them to kind of win this series and hopefully kind of get back to a place where they can take charge of this division? Um, And like, will this fuel the rivalry? Like, how big of a series can this be? Or is this for the Red Sox and Yankees? I mean, it could be it could be a big series. I don't think any series this early matters all that much. I mean, there's just there's so much time to make up ground. Like even if they get swept and they're five games out, like there's there's so much time to make up those five games. These teams are going to see each other so many more times. You know, the Red Sox will have two more trips to New York just after this series alone. So it's I don't know that the series itself is that big, but you know, 
there's there's a lot of sort of rivalry fueling that can that can happen here, and it'll be a great chance to see this all of a sudden young, really interesting Yankees core go up against this more established but young Red Sox core too. Like the Yankees reloaded, and the Yankees have Aaron Judge, and they have Gary Sanchez, and they have Luis Severino, these homegrown guys. And they've added some pieces from the outside. They're going to be bringing in prospects. Maybe they'll make a big trade in July because they they suddenly have the prospects to do that. They're getting good years from Brett Gardner and Matt Holiday. Like this is suddenly a really interesting Yankees team, and in a sustainable way, as opposed to the last few years. I think a lot of us just kind of expected the Yankees to fall off at some point because they were old and creaky, and Mark Teixeira and CC Sabathia just weren't good anymore. And you know, Sabathia hasn't been great this year, but he hasn't had to be because he's not the ace anymore. You know, Pineda and Severino are their guys. So it's it's a really interesting it'll be a big series in that it's a good chance to get a get a look at at this Yankees team and kinda of how sustainable it is this year, how sustainable it looks to be in the future, how scary it looks to be in the future. But I mean I don't think I would change my outlook on the Red Sox season either way if they sweep the Yankees or get swept by the Yankees this week. All right, we'll leave it there. Uh Brian, appreciate the time of course to find his work in the Providence Journal. Uh, driving back from a rainy, rainy McCoy Stadium tonight. Brian, appreciate the time on your drive home, uh, and we'll be in touch. All right, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. All right, again, Brian McPherson, Providence Journal. Appreciate him joining us, of course. He was brought to you by our good friends uh, at SeatGeek here on Red Sox Beat, of course. The smartest and easiest way to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Get a $20 rebate on your first purchase by downloading the free SeatGeek app to your phone. Go to the settings tab and just click the add a promo code option and enter the code GARDENREPORT, all one word. It's for a $20 rebate, and so SeatGeek will know who sent you. Uh, Big shout again to Brian for joining us, guys. A lot, you know, going on this week um, and a lot of things we covered with Brian. I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, Pedroia's health. Is, out of everything we just talked about, Pedroia's health is a pretty big concern. He's getting older. And now with, you know, this Red Sox team coming back towards the top of the division, big series against the Yankees, people are going to have an eye on Pedroia and what his health is for this team. Yeah, I mean, it's it's never good when – any player goes down, but you know, when it's one of your veteran leaders and somebody who's been with the team for many years and someone who's also dealt with injuries for a while. Um, and especially, you know, I'm like, Jared, you, you and I talked about this last week, how it was just kind of an awkward fall. And mm-hmm. of course it's a, it's a sigh of relief when there's no ligament damage or really anything like that, but it's still going to be a concern going forward, especially when he's already dealt with knee injuries just this past season alone. Um, I mean, it's, we're not really going to know so much. Like our concern isn't going to grow or dwindle until we really see him back on the field, but we could really, really use him like this time. And especially with these upcoming series, we absolutely could use him. Yeah. I mean, I I think Pedroia is pretty much invincible. I like to think of him as that way because he seems like <laughs> seems like kind of that fairy tale guy who just like he's the dirt forever and just, yeah exactly like I can't I never whenever he gets injured like doesn't even seem real I'm like he's not injured he's just taking a few days off so I think he'll come back he'll be fine I mean if he ever does slow down and someday retire that'll be a strange day because he's been he's been so reliable for so many years but 
even when he's missed time, it's like it's like he hasn't even missed time. I don't know. It's weird for me. It's like this block <laughs> in my head that I can't seem to get out. I'm happy. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to think of him as injured because he's been one of my favorite players for as long as I've watched baseball. So I'm not worried about him. I am worried about Erod because I'm very tired of the same thing happening over and over again. And just that's the thing with him. It's the smallest things, falling over. You know, like all the tipping pitches things he had where he just like wasn't like moving his body right it's like he has so many like after after he fell in his last start you know it's the way his delivery they show his delivery compared to a previous time and it was completely different like he just like changes things no matter how he feels and it just like throws everything off he just can't seem to get like a steady delivery cannot seem to like stay upright not injure his knee and i was just finally starting to get comfortable with him and say all right you know what this guy really is for real and you know he may be for real but you got to stay healthy, and he's not doing that. It drives me nuts. Yeah, no, the, the Erod needs to stay healthy consistently, and, and I am concerned. We'll touch on that in a little bit here. We have some other stuff to talk about kind of in line with what we asked Brian. We'll give our thoughts on Thornburg, Carson Smith, everything uh, coming up in just a second here. But what we want to do, pretty good week for the Red Sox. Um, I will toot my own horn. I predicted it right. Go me. Um Good just job. since I wasn't yeah, here to do it. That, seriously, that someone's got to do it. <laughs> someone's got to do it. Um, Jess yes. wasn't here last week. Um, Jess, let's give the people an abbreviated rundown of what happened just because of, we had Brian on, so we don't want to take up too much time of the show. But, you know, just kind of overall recap what I predicted. Yeah, no, happy to be back for the recap. It was weird missing the week, but you guys held up the fort. Very good show. I listened to it and enjoyed it. Um, but we'll get back to the get back to the recap. Uh, you guys covered Monday's game because that was before you did the show. So you talked about Price and his first outing where he gave up the three-round homer. But that was about it. So we'll start on Tuesday. Um, and offense was the name of this one. 13-7 to win, um, which is hilarious because it was Chris Sale versus Jose Quintana. You would not expect offense to be the name of the game in that. But Sale did poorly, and Quintana did much worse. Uh, they both gave up 10 hits. Quintana gave up seven runs in two and two-thirds innings. Sale gave up six runs, five earned in five innings. But he did have nine strikeouts, so he still pulled out a little bit of Sale magic. But he was not good against his former team. Quintana was awful. Um, some offensive highlights. Uh, Devin Marrero hit two home runs, a three-run homer and a two-run homer for five RBI. So that was his awesome breakout game. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. also had a fantastic game. He had a three-run homer, and he also had... Um, two hits, four RBI, uh, including that homer, which is awesome. Sam Travis had three hits and three runs in this game. Sander Bogarts had four hits. So literally everyone did something in this game, and it was just offense all over the place. It was a 7-6 to six game in the fourth inning. So this game was just nothing what you expect. Offense against two really good pitchers and just so many hits. It was fun. Yeah, it's really unfortunate, though, because I was really looking forward to a pitching duel. Coming into this game, I was like, yes, like I'm a big pitching guy. Like not a lot of people watch baseball for that, but like I was looking forward to a Chris Sale, Quintana showdown. Maybe we win, maybe we don't, but at least it'd be a good pitching duel. And then all of a sudden the floodgates open on both of them. And like, look, both those guys are going to bounce back. You know, those guys aren't bad starters, but you know, the Red Sox and the White Sox both had phenomenal offenses that day. It was slightly disappointing. Tell you the truth, because <laughs> I wanted the pitchers duel. Great. They won. Obviously you'll take the win at that point, scoring 13 runs, but I was kind of disappointed. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because the same thing. I love pitching. I love when games are close because of pitching. And not that I don't love 13 runs, not that I don't love a blowout, blowout win, but it's it was nothing like what you'd expect from two aces, essentially. And 
just like you said, they just unloaded on the both of them. And still a great game to watch, very fun game to watch. I love watching the offense just produce and just have everybody be a part of it, especially JBJ. So nice to see him just kind of break out of this little slump he'd been in and Bogart's getting those four hits. It was just an all-around very fun game, very surprising game, I should say, but still very fun nonetheless. Yeah, Jackie's doing best, uh, his best job of people saying they shouldn't be in the lineup again and then just absolutely destroying the ball like he has done several different times. He just loves to loves to prove people wrong as they start to start to fall down on him. But, Guess when you see I mean, to criticize love... him all the time. Just all oh, the yeah, time. Seriously. Just bring him down. Don't well, bring himself up. Like, he's awful. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but, I mean, I love the game because I like offense and, you know, it was fun after winning six games in a row before that and then losing two in a row was good to get back, back on track with the win and I mean really Quintana's not awful this year he's two and seven after this game so he's not really much of an ace anymore but his pitches were fat they were down the middle and the Red Sox did not miss them which brought us into Wednesday's game and this was uh, quite the opposite this is a pitcher's duel it was a four to one final a Drew Pomerantz special oh I love Drew Pomerantz specials that's for sure <laughs> leave that <laughs> Everyone one knows that. I've been behind this guy forever. He's my player to watch for before the year, and I'm going to defend him uh, until he's not on the team anymore. So this was very satisfying for me. He pitched fantastic. He got deep into the game. He pitched his longest outing of the season with seven innings. He gave up seven hits and only one run. He had eight strikeouts, no walks. It was a dominant outing. He was awesome, 108 pitches. My favorite part was that he went out there for the seventh with almost 100 pitches and got three outs very quickly, less than 10 pitches, and put the stamp on a seven-inning effort. So this was awesome from Pomerantz. Um, for the White Sox, Mike Pelfrey started, and he was great through five innings, but he's been so bad through the third time in the lineup that they decided to take him out, and they brought in Anthony Swarzak, who's been awesome this year, and he was awful. He gave up four runs and four hits in one inning. The Red Sox scored all four of the runs in that sixth inning, um, capped by a two-RBI double by Christian Vazquez, a Pablo Sandoval RBI single right before it. That made it 4-1 to because it was one nothing White Sox before then. So just enough runs in that one inning for the Sox. Pomerantz dominated. Barnes and Kimbrell shut the door with two perfect innings. This was a extremely well-pitched game. Yeah, no, it was. And look, I, I, I watched this game, and um, you, you kind of watch the way it, it... You expected this kind of pitching the night before is really what this game turned out to be. But, you know, Red Sox scored just enough runs. I'm very happy they won this game seeing the way it was going and... Um, to lose two out of three to the White Sox, one, because I didn't predict that would have been awful. But the fact is, they're not a good team. And you want to be considered as this top team. This is a game that, yeah, you don't play your best, but you have to win a game like this when the other team who's not great is trying to make something positive and win a series like this. So good on the Red Sox to win this game, especially going into a big four-game set against the Orioles. Um, and we'll get to that in a second. But, you know... Big win for the Red Sox, despite it being as the team that it is, just because of what was leading up to it with the Orioles and now the Yankees. Yeah, it was definitely a well-pitched game. And it, like you said, it was a game that they needed to win. And the White Sox just aren't aren't very good this year, th- despite their pitching rotation and their lineup. It's just they're not, they're not the White Sox who they usually are and who usually, like, you know, make the playoff kind of team. But... I will I will give it to them for their toll job on Chris Sale with the throwback uniforms. I don't know if you guys saw that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> just kind of I will give it to them for that because that was just an absolute like great thing to do, like all in good fun. And Chris Sale didn't go cutting up anybody after the game, so that was always good. But but this specific game, it was well pitched, and I'm very glad they won. Jared, for your predictions, and obviously for the team's record, but <laughs> overall, overall, very good series. 
And I should mention that was Sandoval's return, and he had three hits, which was a nice a nice start for him. Uh, and they, so they took two out of three from the White Sox, which was excellent. Easily could have been a sw- sweep because they almost won the game on Monday. So that was all good, two out of three. Going into the Orioles series, a nice Wade Miley versus Eduardo Rodriguez matchup on Thursday. Old friend against old friend. They're pitching against their former teams. And Wade Miley was awesome. And after falling in the bullpen before the game, it was awful. Um, this game was ugly. Uh, it was it was good for a while. It was close. Uh, it was two to one going into the fourth inning. Erod gave up his one homer to Mark Trumbo, two run homer in the first. Vasquez got a run back in the second, and then Erod decided to just give up a lot more home runs because that's what the Orioles do. And he was not sharp. He looked bad. He looked hurt because he was. And Chris Davis hit a home run in the fourth. Adam Jones hit a homer in the sixth. And Jonathan Scope ended Erod's night with a three-run blast to make it seven to one in the sixth inning. Somehow Erod managed to get through five and two-thirds, but he did have six strikeouts, but four home runs, seven runs, eight hits, very bad, and Wade Miley was was really good. Seven innings, five hits, just one run. Uh, Mike Wright came in, and Donnie Hart after that, and they tried to stink it up at the end by giving up four runs to the Sox, including another Jackie Bradley Jr. homer. This one was a three-run job, made it seven to five, but the Sox ran out of time, and really they shouldn't have won this game because it was seven to one going to the ninth inning, and the way Erod pitched, they did not deserve to win this one. No, and I was surprised how good Wade Miley did pitch. <laughs> I mean, I know he, yeah, he was he's not great. terrible by any means. He wasn't even that bad when he was here, but all of a sudden, they just every time he needed a ground ball, he got it. He got out of some situations, and they had control of this game the entire time. You knew there was going to be a game like this, and the score, like you said, just doesn't really show the outcome of what this game really was. They they lost seven four, but they might as well have lost seven one. Yeah, and it was funny. I saw a tweet after the game. I can't remember who it was from, but it was just all it said was Wade Miley pitched great, which means trouble for the Red Sox or something. And I was like, ugh, with a headline like that, you just know it wasn't wasn't a good game. And <laughs> you know, even if they didn't deserve to win that game, the Red Sox, if they had, because like just like you said, it was seven to one, and it, they just couldn't get it together. And Erod pitched terribly. Obviously, you know, we now know he was hurt, but just all around, like that game was that game was hard to watch. Yeah, it was a quick game, as Wade Miley does. Wade Miley special, and uh, that's that's never a good sign. It would have been a lot quicker too if if the Orioles didn't give up four runs in the ninth inning. So that was a bad one. Uh, tough way to start the series, but he just didn't have it. Uh, which brings us into Friday's game, and this one was a lot more frustrating because the offense just couldn't get it done, which hadn't been the case for a while. They scored a lot of runs and and several games in a row. They were looking good, but they could not give Rick Porcello the support in this game. He had a rough first inning where he gave up home runs. Two of the first three batters, Seth Smith, Manny Machado, both hit solo homers. That made it two to nothing. Uh, Pablo got one back with a home run of his own, an opposite field shot in third inning to make it two to one. But Porcello gave up one more run in the fourth on a Hyunsoo Kim RBI double. That made it three to one. And the Sox can only score one more run the rest of the game. It was a Jackie Bradley Jr. single in the seventh. That made it 3-2. But the Sox couldn't score again. And, I mean, Porcello didn't pitch well in the first inning. But other than that, I mean, he settled down. He only gave up three runs in six innings, five strikeouts, eight hits. Uh, it's another quality start for him. And even though he's he struggled a lot this year in terms of getting wins, his ERA is 4.24. But he, he's gotten several quality starts, and they just have not unlike last year, just not been able to get runs for him and hardly any of his starts this year. It must be maddening for him. It's really unfortunate, too, because it's the only game this week they didn't score four more runs. Like, right. It's the only game. It's literally the only one. Everything else, the offense is good. You know, you win 
by other totals the rest of the week, and then the one game you really need the runs, you don't get it. And like you said, Jess, you watched Porcel in that first inning. It really wasn't himself. He settled down, and um, that was kind of his trend a little bit. When he doesn't pitch well, it tends to be earlier rather than later. Eventually, he gets into the groove. He settles down. That's what you typically see with him when you start in this game, and it's really unfortunate the Red Sox couldn't pull him out of it because, honestly, I think he pitched well enough to win that game, guys. Like It wasn't like he pitched horrible. It's just, like you said, he couldn't get the run support again because I think he deserved to win that game. No, absolutely. And Jess, I know we've kind of been back and forth in uh, in the Red Sox chat that, that we have about whether it was a quality start. And it it absolutely hands down was. I mean, he had that shaky first inning. He pitched six innings. And he pitched well. And I know expectations are high on Porcello because of Cy Young last year and everything. But he didn't pitch terrible. I do think that they deserve to win that game. But the Orioles can just figure it out against the Red Sox time and time again. And I don't know how they do it, but when their bats get hot, it always seems to be against the Red Sox. Yeah, it's always like 25 home runs in a three-game span. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They waste it all in like one inning. It's really what happens. Yeah. It's like, oh, let's have eight homers in the ninth or some inning in some random game they don't need them, and they won't do for Porcel. It's crazy. Yeah, it's always the home runs, always the long balls. Yeah, it's. I mean, people have crapped on Porcello this year, and I don't think it's fair because, like you said, Jared, last year he had a lot of starts where he – he had a first couple innings where he wasn't as sharp, and then he just got really good, locked in for six or seven innings. As we know, he almost every single one of his starts last year was six-plus innings, six innings or more, I should say, and three runs or less, which was great. And he really hasn't done much different this year. He really hasn't had that many bad games. He just hasn't gotten the support. And people are so quick to jump on, oh, three and seven, over four ERA. He's not good anymore. He's not. He should have been Cy Young. That was a fluke season. And yeah, of course, it was a little bit better than he's been because he hasn't been a Cy Young before, and he's, that's not who he is overall of the span of his career. But he's still pitching well, and he's still doing what he did last year. It's not like he's a different guy. He just hasn't gotten run support, and that's that's really the only difference. He probably would have been had the same record last year if he didn't get run support because he did the same thing. He pitched exactly the same, three runs, seven innings, and just didn't. He just got the wins last year, so it's frustrating. But hopefully they can just get runs for him and people can stop being down on him because he really hasn't done that bad. So let's go to a win here on Saturday, a 5-2 to win for the Sox. This was David Price's second start, and this one was fantastic. I'll give the guy credit when he deserves it. I don't give him credit when he doesn't deserve it, but he really deserved it in this game. He pitched seven innings, gave up three hits and one run, seven strikeouts, only one walk. And, I mean, after losing the first two games of the series, it's exactly what the team needed, and he provided it. And it was a close game throughout. I mean, Boston got a two-run lead in the fourth when Hanley finally did something, hit a two-run homer to make it 2 to nothing. Machado hit one off Price in the seventh inning for the only run he gave up to make it 2-1. to one. But, you know, the whole game was either scoreless or 2 to nothing, and Price just dominated, and the Sox did just enough against Dylan Bundy. They Raised his pitch count up, ended up getting a couple of runs late off Ubaldo Jimenez and Donnie Hart. Um, Hanley got another RBI double, and Betts got an RBI single in the ninth. So enough offense in this game, if only they could have given Porcello that. Uh, Hanley Ramirez had a good game, and David Price was the stopper, which you'd expect him to be, and maybe he will be. It's a good sign, at least. Yeah, and coming into this, you know, now you have one bad start, which really wasn't that bad, even as we talked about this last week, Lauren, like, first start really wasn't that bad and then this start was really good and this is what i'm assuming posed lauren to ask the question just the fact is you know um david price is this what you're going to see and look i think it's yes because this is what he usually is in the regular season he never has a problem 
in the regular season. Obviously, the injury is a concern, but his velocity looked like it was there. His control was there. He looked confident on the mound. And maybe it was just he didn't want to pitch in AAA and was kind of sick of being in the minors, and that's what did it. But either way, he looks like that outing was typical regular season David Price. Now, can they get that consistently? I hope so, and I believe he's kind of healthy, and I think he's back. Yeah, it was definitely refreshing to see. And like you said, and we talked about last week, his first start wasn't bad. And this start was was much better. And his control was there, like you said. And I really I really liked what I saw. And I didn't have a lot of critique, like negative critique, critique to say about it because it was exactly what you should be expecting from him. Of course, we'd want more innings, but we know he was on, you know, he's probably still on a pitch count at some point, And they're, I'm sure they're monitoring him really close and they don't want to make anything worse for him because he's that 217 million dollar pitcher we've we've said it a million times and how much money was invested in him and I mean if I was making that money and I knew what I'm capable of and how I've pitched in the big leagues before I wouldn't want to be in AAA either but I still don't think that excuses the fact that it's a little you know leaving the media whatever but we've already discussed that but at the end of the day I do think that this is what David Price is going to give us for the remainder of the season. I, I think it's only going to get better. I don't, unless something crazy happens with that elbow, I don't think he's going to go south. I think it's only going to go up from here and it's going to be Sale, Porcello, and Price. It's going to be those three guys that are just constantly talked about because they're just that good. Yeah, he definitely could have gone later in the game if, if it wasn't his second start. He only had 92 pitches. So in the last year, he would have gone much past that. And to, to, uh, to, to say you're wrong here, Jared, uh, about this is what David Price was last year. This actually wasn't because he gave up the most hits in the league last year and only gave up three hey, in this game. I didn't say last year. <laughs> I did not say last year. I said regular season in general. Normally, okay, general. Okay. regular season right. David Price is good. Last year, he sucked. But normally, <laughs> right. regular season David Price is pretty dominant. Right. So this is good to see because unlike last year, he didn't give up many hits. And that's what he did do last year, which was the most maddening thing because he, you know, you get 17 wins, you give up the most hits in the league. It's kind of and the most home runs. They give up one of those on Saturday, but hey, we'll, we'll take it. He was good, and there's really not much to complain about there. A quick note on Craig Kimbrell: he uh, he gave up a run in the ninth inning of that game and two hits to right-handed hitters, and those were, believe it or not, the first two hits for right-handed hitters all season long against Kimbrell. They were 0 for 46 before that, and he he gave up two for the first two. It had to happen at some point, but that's just absolutely insane that he had not given up one hit to a right-handed hitter for two months of the season. Craig Kimbrell's just too good. I mean, not too good, let's be real, but he's just, he's so dominant. And again, like I know I mentioned this, I think I did it last week or two weeks ago, people are just underestimating what you're watching because now it's expected and then he hasn't gotten as much. I know there's one game he got in just to get work and he, and he, and he got the game he struck out four guys. Like, it's just, he's so fluent with everything now. It's, it's, it's fun to watch, for sure. Oh, it's, it's historic. I mean, what he's doing is incredible. And people, like you said, people don't even realize because they're like, oh, he's just good. But no, this is like, this is insane. Like, this doesn't happen where you don't give up a hit to a right-handed hitter for two months. That's just unheard of. What a difference a year makes because last season we were talking about how nervous we were watching him go on the mound, and now he comes on the mound, and it's just like complete 180. And it's just, you, I mean, I get so excited when he gets on the mound. I'm just I love what he's been doing and he's just so so good so dominant there just aren't words to to say how good he's been this year and I don't know about you guys but I'm just I'm loving every second of it he's certainly proving oh, the trade right so that's for fun. sure 
Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Who were those prospects yeah. we traded again? Who cares? <laughs> Seriously. He's worth it. They knew he'd be worth it. Took him a year. He was still good last year, just not this good. So it's definitely worth it now. Uh, and speaking of guys that are worth it, that brings us into the last game of the series on Sunday, where the Sox split it 2-2, two and two, which was good after the first two losses. Chris Sale against Chris Tillman, the battle of the Chris's. And uh, they both started out terrible. Uh, Boston scored two runs in the first, and then Baltimore scored three runs in the bottom of the first. So it was 3-2 after one. Fortunately, Sale settled down and didn't go up any more runs after that. He finished at six innings, six hits, three runs, one walk, and nine strikeouts. So I'd say he salvaged the game pretty well. He had to work for it. He threw 110 pitches in six innings. But after having a bad first inning, I mean, to salvage that and still pitch pretty well and get nine strikeouts, I'd say he did his job. And the offense did their job, uh, namely Andrew Benintendi, who broke out big time from his slump. He had two solo home runs, one in the third to tie it up, one in the seventh to make it 6-3 to three after the Sox scored two runs in the sixth. And then he added on with another RBI single in the ninth inning to make it 7-3. to three. So he had three of the seven RBI, two home runs. Really good to see because he was just he just could not get a hit. He was in a long, long slump. And to see him do that was awesome. To see Sale settle down was great. And to finish the series, taking two of the four games after losing the first two it was really good because they started the week off well and finished the week off well, and overall it was a good week. So this this was a good game to finish the week out on. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, Chris Sale really salvaged the game because, you know, especially after his last start where it wasn't like typical Chris Sale, um, to kind of see it, it's like, oh, no, it's like, I mean, people start panicking really early. But, you know, he's bound to have shaky starts. He's bound to have starts where he's not lights out like we've been used to. But – Nine strikeouts is still something to be happy about. And he, like I said, he salvaged that game. So he pitched pretty well despite the shaky first inning. And it's going to happen. So And it was nice to see the offense break out. It was nice to see Benintendi do some do some good things. Just kind of like we said earlier, just all around very good game. Yeah, I'm just more intrigued of who Jess is going to give his MVP to. They're good candidates this week. <laughs> oh, I got it picked. I'm ready. You ready for it? Shoot. I'm ready. I'm going Jackie Bradley Jr. I mean, he had he had a hit or more in every single game of the week starting on Tuesday. He didn't on Monday, but we're caring about what we haven't talked about. And he had either one or two hits in all those games. He had two home runs. He had 10 RBI and a little solid four runs also and a double to throw in there. So he was consistent the whole week. He, he brought his average up actually 31 points from the beginning of the week to the end of the week. So I think you got to give it to him. He was consistent. He made an impact. He got the two home runs and a lot of RBI. So I'm no doubt giving it to Jackie Bradley Jr., even though, like he said, a lot of people had good offensive weeks. Yeah, no, I love it, especially because, you know, like you said earlier, he's just proving everybody wrong. Like, this is a big week for him in the proving I should be in the line once again type situation for him, and he seems to be doing it every other month at this point. Um, but, you know, we've talked about it. his defense is worth it when he is slumping because of what he can do and the, the ground he can cover. And if you can get this kind of production for him here and there at the bottom of the lineup, not a big deal and proves it again this week. Yeah, I I love it. I I mean, I can't think of somebody else to give it to. And especially, you know, he had that god-awful slump and it was just terrible watching him at the plate. So I, I like it. Like you said, it hit every game and then he had the home run. And just He's exactly who I want to be watching. So this week was a good week for him. Good week for the team overall, but I'm not going to argue with your pick this week. Can't. I mean, you could, you could, you know, justify David Price for 
the good start he had. You could justify a bunch of guys. But uh, JBJ, I think, good choice there. Just there's the recap for the week. Um, like I said, good week for me. I picked it right. I, I don't remember the last time I did predict the week exactly right, so I'm kind of happy about that. Um, but congratulations, it's kind of great. <laughs> I'll, toot, I'll toot my own horn. So I'll toot away. A toot toot. Um, you know, about ten minutes left in the show, so we're gonna go through a couple big ticket Red Sox items, and we'll get to the predictions and get out of here for the week. Uh, big news is Erod once again hurt. Um, reportedly, you know, we'll miss three to four weeks. They told him to rest. Um, got a second opinion. Apparently, there's no ligament damage. That's good news, guys. In three to four weeks, is he back to himself? What are we expecting out of this? And of course, he's hurt again, and we touched on it a little bit. But I- I'm concerned because this is a history now, and we know he gets hurt easily. He was pitching. Really, really well until this happened. Of course, with the fall in the bullpen, which honestly, until I realized he was hurt, it was kind of funny. Kind of funny, but overall, now it's not a good look because now he's hurt again. And yeah, you have people behind him who who pitched well. Not really though. Like this could add one more wrinkle to an issue if he can't pitch. Now you have Stephen Wright and Eduardo Rodriguez. Yeah, it's it's definitely concerning. And you know, I when I saw the fall, I was like, oh, okay, like and. He seems okay, but I was concerned that it took him a while to get up. And then as soon as he started just getting hammered in the game, I'm like, he's hurt. Something's not right. And I said last week on the show that knee injuries are just don't go away. And they're very hard to, you know, really get 100% over. And it's a this is a perfect perfect example right here. And he can do all the rest and rehab he wants. He's There's still not going to be 100% thrust in his knee if and when he comes back this year. And who knows if he'll be how he was because of that, because of that knee. And we don't know really the extent of it. Is it just sore? Did he like, dislocate it and pop back in? Is it just sprained? Is it like, did he aggravate like one of the ligaments, even though there's no damage? Is it could have been pulled or something? So there, there's still so many questions. And I know we'll probably get a better update tomorrow with Farrell, but it's, it's without a doubt concerning because he was just, I think you called him a strikeout machine or a strikeout monster that he was becoming. So it's definitely concerning when you have a pitcher who's been pitching really well in your rotation when you're already down Stephen Wright and you don't have a lot of depth in AAA. So I'm I'm pretty concerned, even though they only say three to four weeks. I'm I'm raising a red flag here. Yeah, I was recapping the game and I could tell immediately that he wasn't right in the game. He just he just like wasn't putting his body into the pitches probably because his knee hurt. So. It was pretty bad. It's really annoying that just falling caused that. Unless maybe, maybe it would happen anyway. I mean, it's hard to know. But obviously, another knee injury, like we said when Brian was on, it's just happening too much. And is three to four weeks going to be useful? I don't know. I mean, David Price was out for a while. They decided not to do surgery, and then he ended up being okay so far at least. Um, so hopefully that will work for Erod. But like Brian said, might need surgery down the road. This just keeps happening. So, yeah, I'm definitely concerned. And... It's too bad because he was really, really doing well. I mean, he was, he was basically. I mean, he was the three starter at least, and with Porcello not being as sharp so far, especially in the wins department, uh, you could have even argued Erod being the two starter at least so far. But here he goes on the shelf. He's out again, and it's hard to have confidence in in his body the rest of the way. Because I mean, who knows what's going to happen with this? The fact that he even saw Doctor Andrews is not a good sign. So it's. Uh, it's just another another day for you, Ron. I mean, point to a case where it could be good news. You know, David Price saw Andrews earlier on and um, seems to be okay after him getting told he doesn't need that much yet. And obviously, we're, we're skeptical of that too. But, you know, that could be a good example to look at as well, to me being positive for some reason. Uh, that could you know, be a good sign. 
right? So I'm I'm concerned. I'm I'm with Lauren. I'm raising that red flag high and proud. Um, this could be a big deal, especially you know three four weeks takes you end of June, if not into July, by the time he's back really throwing. Then trade deadline. So I mean, you're gonna have an idea of what he's gonna be if he's hurt. You might need to get another starter at that point because um, I mean, you have Brian Johnson, but do you trust him consistently? You don't know, even though he did pitch well yes, in the last do. start. Obviously, I know Lauren does, <laughs> but you know, it depends on what you know Dombrowski wants. If you trust him to do bullpen or start, whatever that's gonna be, either it's a big deal what's gonna come out with this injury. Um, and also another big case in point with the injuries is what happens with Thornburg and Carson Smith now. Carson Smith's on track to throw live BP on Tuesday, uh, which is tomorrow for recording, and that's his first time facing live hitters since his Tommy John, which is huge. He's on track probably end of June, early July comeback, which is good. That being said, Tyler Thornburg is now throwing from 90 feet, uh, and apparently the team wants him throwing at least 150 feet long toss before he throws in any bullpen session at all, which means he's far off. At least he's finally off that diagnostic table. Um, he's finally understanding what's going on, um, and they're starting to get him some work in, which is good, but he's a long way away, guys. Um, he's not pitching this year. Carson Smith's on track. I, we asked Brian this, obviously, you know, what, what their thoughts on this. What do, you, what do you guys feel like these guys bring to the bullpen, and, and do either of you actually think that Tyler Thornburg is going to pitch this year? Because I don't. Well, I'm still iffy on, on Thornburg. I mean, I do like that he threw from 90 feet. I don't like that he's had some setbacks, but... I guess any progress is good progress for him right now. I hope he pitches this year. If he's 100%, obviously, I'm coming back when he's not, and that just causes more injury to him or whatever. But Carson Smith, I I am just so intrigued by this guy because he, what he pitched only three innings last year, and I'm just I'm ready for this bullpen to get help, and I know that he can bring some much-needed help and, and relief to this bullpen when it's kind of been hot and cold. So, I mean, I... I, I love that he's throwing batting practice on Tuesday. I'll be really interested to see, you know, whatever footage we can get from that. And I'm just, I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of doubts with Smith, even though he had the, the Tommy John surgery. I think he's, you know, the rehab's obviously a lot longer than most surgeries, but I, I really have a lot of confidence in him. And hopefully it's just not false hope, but I think he's going to bring a lot. I think he's going to be... Like un, like an unexpected pitcher, like we are. He he's just gonna kind of. I'm hoping he's gonna blow people's minds. That's that's my expectation for him. But uh, maybe it's because the bullpen's not so great. But I think at the end of the day, he's gonna be what this bullpen needs. Yeah, I'm excited for him. Uh, I I've always been excited for him. Obviously, he's my player to watch for last year, and that didn't work out too well. And uh, <laughs> I still think he's going to be good this year. And at least his is encouraging because at least he's on the right timetable of what they thought he was going to be. You know, they talked about, mm-hmm. you know, basically June. They didn't know beginning, middle, end, whatever June. But they said June a long time ago, and that's exactly where he sits at this point. So that actually makes sense. With Thornburg, like Brian said, like, geez, for a spring training injury of, like, really not that much, you didn't expect it to be that much, and now he's still not doing anything hardly at this point. I don't have a lot of confidence in coming back either. Like like Jared said, it's just very weird and just doesn't make any sense. And the unpredictability of that concerns me because it's just he's gotten basically nowhere in like three months, and it was like the injury was because like his arm wasn't in like pitching shape. How long does it take to get into pitching shape? It's just like, I know it's an impingement, but God, it's taken forever. And it's, I, I have very little confidence. I give him like a 10 to 15% chance of pitching this year. And I don't even feel good about that. 
Yeah, and I, I think this speaks volumes. I, I'm one to blame the throwing program because I don't know what it was, but he, he seemed 100% until he got into spring training, so I don't, I don't know. Um, there's, there's a lot going on there with the Red Sox and behind the scenes of that throwing program in spring training. And look, I would love to get him back. If you can get Thornburg back healthy in, in September, great. That'd be awesome. That's a huge addition in September that you might not have, which as long as you have Carson Smith, if one of them comes back, then I'm happy. And Carson Smith seems to be coming back. Um, he, he, we know what he can be. So if he comes back healthy out of this and they rehab him the right way and don't rush him, I think that's a good addition, obviously. And then if you're going to add Thornburg in September, that, that's a huge thing, depending on where you are in the standing. So um, any innings at all this year from Thornburg, honestly, is a plus for me. But a few minutes left here. Before we do that, I do want to get your guys' thoughts uh, before the predictions on Sam Travis because we I we touched base on this quickly. I, I asked um, Brian McPherson on earlier about, you know, what does his call-up mean in regards to Hanley not wanting to play first base? He thought there was a direct correlation. I think there's a direct correlation. Do you guys think the same thing? I think there absolutely is. And, you know, Sam Travis, we've done, you know, we've talked about him quite a bit this season. And I know that he's a very good player. And I think we've seen his transition from the minors to the majors. And I think he's handled it really well. I think he looks like a big league player and... You know, you can see his excitement when he's here, just how happy he is, which is great. I love that he's that he wants to be up here. And I do think there's a correlation between it because, I mean, what else would it be? It's I know that there's that awkward thing going on at third base, and, and now we have the like second base open, but Sam Travis doesn't play second base, you know? So I think, yes, there is a correlation. I, I don't care what Farrell says or any, anyone else is going to say. and But I think it's also paid off because... He's contributed. He's he's hit. He's driven in runs. He's scored runs, and he's just he's just a really fun player to watch right now. Yeah, he's been great. He's been a really really good addition. He's hitting 500 so far in five games. He's got seven hits. He has three multi-hit games. His first one where he had two hits, and then he had three hits uh, in the, on the Tuesday White Sox game, and then he had two more hits uh, against the Orioles and the, the first game of that series. So he's been really good in his short time playing so far and seems to be comfortable and enjoying it. And, and they need it because, because, like we said, you know, Hanley not playing first base, you got to have somebody in there. Moreland's had a great season, and he's been really good and very solid. And I've really liked what we've seen from him. But like Brian said earlier, he can't, he can't play every day. He showed that he got worn out from that. So you need help. Sam Travis comes in, hits 500 in five games. So I love yeah. the addition. I think it's great. I mean, who knows if he'll keep it up, but good so far and huge credit to Sam Travis for taking advantage of the opportunity because I'm assuming coming in the year he didn't think he was going to get a chance even until September because of the fact you know the plan was Hanley play first with uh, opposite Mitch Moreland you have other guys who could fill in Brock Holt at the beginning of the year was always someone who could play first base in a pinch things like that Sam Travis really didn't have an opening and then all of a sudden Hanley became Hanley and started complaining about playing first base at all and then had to play third base and came out early because he clearly didn't want to play third base he like Hanley caused Sam Travis to have an opening and Sam Travis took advantage of it. Now he's playing well. I can't imagine they're going to send him back down unless they really are pinched for a roster spot for somebody. But, you know, Moreland needs those that time off. And right now, Travis is the only guy in line to do that. So I love Sam Travis. I know Nick Qualley of the written, uh, written slash audio, other audio coverage, however you want to word it, <laughs> um, is also a big fan of him. I know he's been writing and talking a lot about him as well. Really happy he's getting a shot because I think he's a good addition to the plate as well as decent at first base defensively. So I think that's a combination the Red Sox need, especially when they call them up two guys 
offense wasn't playing too hot. It wasn't hitting the ball too well. So I think it was, that was a good addition there as well. Um, a couple more minutes left before we get out of here. we got to do it. Predictions for the week. Three in the Bronx against the Yankees. Three at home versus the Tigers. Um, a couple of us have different ways of getting to one situation. So let's start with Lauren. Uh, three against the Yankees. Lauren, what's going on down there in the Bronx? They are going to win two out of three from the Yankees. And I know the Yankees I know the Yankees have been real good. They have Aaron Judge just absolutely annihilating the ball every chance he gets. But I do I feel good about going into New York and taking just two out of three. I, I would like to go for the sweep, but I don't have that kind of confidence in the team right now. But I I don't know what it is. I just I feel maybe I'm just too optimistic or what it is, but I feel like the Yankees are just gonna really start to fizzle out, especially before the All-Star break. And I think the Red Sox are going to take advantage of that. And I think they're, the Red Sox are probably going to hit their stride, whatever that may be. This would be the time to yeah, do I... that. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I got the same thing, win two out of three. I almost said lose two out of three, but the Sox are coming in hot on them. They're two games out. I know the Yankees are, are good at home. They're 17-8, and eight, but their fun's got to end sometime soon, right? They're, they're too young to keep doing this. So I like two out of three. The Sox are playing well. You know, they've won the last two against Baltimore. The offense has been picking it up a little bit. So I think that I feel pretty good about winning two out of three, and that would be great because you're just going to keep inching closer and closer and then overtake them and then be in your rightful <laughs> first place, hopefully. <laughs> that would be nice. Um, I'm going to go to where your other side you were leaning, Jess. I think they're going to lose two out of three. I think the Yankees are playing obscenely well, and I think they're because they're dodging Chris Sale, that's a big deal. Uh, they do uh-huh. get they do have to face David Price, but I think if Chris Sale and Price were both pitching, then I think you can get the win two out of three. But the Yankees are playing well. I don't mind you. I don't think they're going to get blown out by any means. I, I think they're going to be really good games. I'm not saying sparkle rivalry, but I do like what Brian was talking about. You know, it's the first time really that the young core of the Yankees, who's actually playing well, is facing this young core of the Red Sox, and we're going to see we could see these lineups face each other numerous amounts of times like this down the road in the future because they are a young core who both are intact. So this weekend, uh, this week, I think the Yankees get the best out of the Red Sox there. Uh, moving on to the Tigers, I think that the Red Sox will sweep Detroit. I think after losing two out of three, like you said, Jess, they're playing well. They're not playing bad. So I think um, you'll have close games in New York. we a tough-fought series, and then you come back, take it out on Detroit, who isn't playing well. I think you can beat them, especially because it's at home. So overall, I have them going 4-2 and two this week um, after sweeping the Tigers. Who are you sweeping the Tigers? My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> You're throwing me for a loop. Wow, we! I never thought. Well, I mean, you know, you've been pretty optimistic this season, but I'm surprised that you picked a sweep. Um, I'm taking two out of three from Detroit for a nice four and two week. You know, I like that they're at home, and I just, I don't know. I like. I think four and two week is good. I'm not feeling 100 percent confident that they're going to sweep either team, but two out of three, I'm. I'll take. I'll take a four and two week over two and four week any day. I'm going the sweep also of Detroit Woo! for five and one week. A little positive week here. Uh, Detroit has won four games in a row, but they're still only 28-28. They're a very average team. They're 13-18 and 18 on the road. They, they have a, a plus one run differential. They're just not doing much that's to write home about. You know, They're just not doing very well. So I think that the Sox will take advantage of that. I know the Tigers had a couple wins against us earlier in the season, so flip that around. Sox sweep the Tigers, five and one week. Mark it down. Love that. Ooh. Hope you're right. That's that's a way to come in hot after not predicting last week. That's for sure. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, that, that'll do the show this week. Big shout. Big shout to Brian McPherson, Providence Journal. 
on his drive home from McCoy Stadium tonight. Joining us here on the show, uh, don't forget to check him out on In the Providence Journal. Covers the Red Sox. Obviously does great work. Really appreciate him coming on with us. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Red Sox underscore Beat. Facebook is Red Sox Beat Podcast. You can listen to this show on iTunes. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to us there on Stitcher, on the CLNS Media app, on the iOS and Android store where you can listen to us as well as all the other shows along the network as well. So go share every um, uh, We're happy to be obviously be a part of the CLNS family. Uh, don't forget to follow uh, at CLNS Media. Facebook, search them as well. Uh, search us as well, excuse me, on CLNS Media on Facebook. Uh, show, of course, brought to you by our good friends at Seeky. Check out the Garden Report promo code, settings tab, click add a promo code. Get that $20 rebate, and I'll do it. For next week, uh, we'll be back talking Red Sox. Hopefully a 5-in-1 week, according to Jess, if he's right. Uh, but for Jess, Lauren Campbell, one final shout-out to Brian McPherson. We'll be back next week. This has been Red Sox Beat here on CLNS Media.